0: Remember last year when Facebook blocked a bunch of pages, including those from emergency services and health, during both bushfires and COVID lockdowns? This week on Download This Show, whistleblowers say they have proof this wasn't an accident. Plus, some Twitter users are turning to a new platform for their microblogging needs. But what is and how do we use Mastodon? Also, a new law sets its sights on unveiling the secrets behind TikTok. But will the company comply? And with the federal election almost upon us, our news feeds are filled to the brim with political advertising. Does it work? And is it good for democracy? All this and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Ray Johnston and welcome to download this show. It is a new episode of Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston filling in for Mark Fennell, who will be returning next week. And it is a pleasure to welcome our guests for today. We have Jen Dudley-Nicholson, who is the National Technology Editor at News Limited. Welcome, Jen.
1: Thank you so much. Good to be here.
0: And Reinhard Sozen, a presenter of the Tech for Evil podcast. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: Now, just over a year ago, there was a battle between the Australian government and Facebook that resulted in Facebook blocking a whole bunch of pages. Jen, what exactly went down back in February 2021 to make this all happen?
1: Oh, I, I think evil went down. It was it was a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, it was an interesting time to be a, a technology journalist or a technology user for that for that matter. Um, so basically, uh, regulation happened uh, that the, the Australian government was looking to regulate Facebook and and actually um, make them pay for some of the news they used and do deals with local media outlets. And and Facebook, being a tech juggernaut and a very rich company, wished to remain rich and, and keep hold of all of that money and basically had a dummy spit. Um, and the way that they did that is that they said that they were going to block all news in Australia on its platform. And that included not just news that people saw and, and news outlets, but even news that people shared. And it was just an absolute cluster. It was, it was, it was a, a worldwide nightmare because everybody tuned in and, and wanted to see what was going to happen to Australia. So what
0: pages were we told they'd be blocking? It was news outlets mainly, right? And, and what pages ended up? Being blocked.
1: Oh my word! So we were told that it was it was uh, news going to be news outlets, but the thing was, and the point that Facebook wanted to make, and that they were very open about this at the time, they said that the definition of news under the proposed laws was too broad. And so they decided to go real broad. So hospitals, schools, charities, we were in the middle of a pandemic and the vaccine was just rolling out. And yes, our health government sites, they were blocked as well. Um, you couldn't access RECQ CareFlight. You couldn't access mother's groups, support groups, the Melanoma Institute. Like everyone just got blocked all of a sudden. It was like they just turned off a tap, um, which really did create an enormous amount of chaos.
0: Reinhardt. what did Facebook have to say about this at the time?
2: At the time, Facebook came out and said, it's not us, we're just trying to comply with the new proposed laws. And they denied that this was uh, an obvious retaliation or negotiation tactic and claimed it was, it was technical issues um, and that they couldn't fix the problem sooner. So at the time, a spokesperson for Facebook, but now called Meta, said that they intended to exempt Australian government pages. That was their intention, um, to exempt the government pages from the restrictions of content and that um, suggesting anything to the contrary was false. So that's what they said.
0: And a whistleblower has now come out with evidence that the excessive blocking of all of these pages, it, it was not an accident. So what what is this evidence? What does it say, Reinhardt?
2: Look, yes, the evidence is strong and damning because it's former Facebook employees who have come forward and they're backed by a group called Whistleblower Aid. Uh, They provided internal company emails which were leaked to the Wall Street Journal and they show that Facebook did deploy a crude algorithm um, with an unnecessarily broad filter deliberately to shut down local news here in Australia and gain leverage over the Australian government. So interestingly... The emails reveal that Facebook used their power in a way that threatened public safety um, during fire season and in the midst of a global pandemic. So leaked emails describe Facebook's actions as rather unambiguous negotiating tactics that compromised civic institutions and emergency services here in Australia under the guise of uh, we're just trying to comply with the new law. So at the highest levels of Facebook. They even congratulated themselves on email uh, with uh, just minutes after the Australian Senate voted to approve a watered down version of the bill. So um, it was it was quite interesting that even Mark Zuckerberg and others at the highest levels were saying that this was um, this this was thoughtfulness on their part and a strategy which they executed to precision.
0: Now, what has the local response to this evidence been, Jen?
1: I think a lot of rolling eyes. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I, I think we did suspect that there was there was something behind this the whole time because um, it was it was very obviously aimed at a, a broad sort of audience of, of Facebook pages. Um, I mean, it was interesting to read in this that you know Facebook did actually could actually have. have Sort of used a list that they already had of news outlets, and just blocked those. Even and that would have made a point and, and made a very significant point on their site. But they chose they chose chaos. They they chose to take an entirely different path on purpose. And so I think that I mean people were already cynical about this. Um, yes, it did go on for five days and and but those were a very damaging five days. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the reaction has been worldwide as well. It's worth mentioning that this has made international headlines and, and was largely a scoop from the, uh, the Wall Street Journal, as I understand. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's definitely uh, chalked up to um, another Facebook incident for sure. And what does
0: the revelation of all of this evidence actually mean for Facebook? Will there be any consequences for these actions, Jen?
1: I'd love to say yes. Um, and look, it's its absolutely no, not a good look. Um, and it does go towards this idea that, you know, big tech um, isn't necessarily your friend or doing you any favours. Um, I don't think that there'll be any particular consequences unless they happen from the American side. Um, the ACCC was mentioned as part of this, the Australian Competition Regulator, because obviously they drafted these laws and, and were really um, involved in, in sort of getting them across the line. Um, I don't think that they'll take any action against Facebook, even though this was, as, as we now know, you know, clearly a terrible negotiating tactic and, and one that, um, as Reinhardt said, uh, risks public safety. Um, I don't think the Australian government is necessarily going to take action against them because they were happy that they did get an outcome at the end of this and, and that Facebook has done deals with news outlets, ultimately. I would love to see some action on the American side, because obviously they're talking a lot about technology, um, having uh, technology companies being more strongly regulated over there. And this is certainly damning evidence uh, to, to go towards that case.
0: Now, can we learn anything from any of this? What do we do going forward to protect ourselves from something like this happening in the future, Reinhard? It's
2: a great question. Um, I think that What we have are a very um, clear set of statements from the chief executive at uh, Whistleblower Aid, who we mentioned earlier, Libby Liu. And she said that Facebook has enormous power over information. So that's one thing that we're learning, is that we're getting our news from social media more and more, which means we have entered a new dynamic and a new age of of news consumption. So that's emerged in the now well-established Um, days of uh, the 2020s, and that that says if Facebook filters um, and dictates local Australian news, we could be potentially missing out on critical life-saving information. So we're learning that, and we're including information from our own government authorities that could be filtered. Scarier still, Facebook are becoming a bigger and bigger gatekeeper of news. So they understand they are powerful players in this space, and they will use dirty negotiation tactics and lie (laughs) to the Australian government and people just to get their own way and protect their interests.
0: Download This Show is what you're listening to. It's your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter is getting closer and closer by the day. And some users don't want a bar of an Elon-driven social media platform. So they're looking at other options. One I've seen floating around as an alternative is Mastodon. But what is Mastodon? What's its vibe, Reinhardt?
2: Well, Mastodon's creator, current CEO, that's Eugen Rochko, and it was launched in 2016 um, and claims to put social networking back in the hands of the average user. So, to first approximation, I guess Mastodon sounds rather promising, ticks all the right boxes. It's a decentralized, community owned, open source social network, which means it's free from The surveillance-based advertising business model that plagues other platforms, free from data mining potentially and free from corporate overlords, as Mastodon puts it. And just like Twitter or Tumblr, you can make a profile, post messages, photos, videos, uh, create and moderate your own community with unique rules and follow other people on Mastodon. So I think the vibe is that you can… You can carve out your own unique slice of social media heaven and post outside the usual confines that now plague other platforms.
0: This is sounding pretty good. Is it? Is it better, Jen? Is there potential for this to be a better social media option?
1: there There is the potential there. I mean, at the moment, it looks a bit like somebody uh, did a, a rough scribble of Twitter, essentially, um <laughs> which is for some people not necessarily a bad thing, um because obviously, I don't think it's it's the format of Twitter that you know these people who who aren't liking the future of Twitter are, are sort of railing against. Um, yeah, I think that it's it it does work very similarly. Apparently, instead of tweeting, you toot. Which is going to just set oh. off endless jokes. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit concerned about the where where that word came from. <laughs> um, and instead of retweeting, you boost, which is fair enough. No jokes there. Um, there are vast similarities to how you use this. However, there's also, as as Reinhardt said, that like this. Um, you know, there there are different servers involved. It's a decentralized platform. Um, some of the servers have different rules around moderation, which could be a bit challenging. Um, but there are hashtags that you can follow. And as a user, if you sign up to this, you will just think that it is, uh, yeah, sort of rough Twitter at the moment, I think.
0: So what are the downsides to Mastodon? Because it's, it's sounding okay. Like usually when you do join a new social media network, you've you've got to work out how it works, the intricacies before you kind of get into it. But the way they're selling it sounds pretty great, Jen.
1: Yeah, look, it has. I mean, as I say, it is it is promising, and it does sound great. Um, I think at the moment it suffers from that that sort of second platform feeling, where you know there's a, there's a major one that you're railing against, so you go to this one, but nobody's there yet, and so you're just kind of tweeting or uh. tooting as it, as it is into the ether. Um, it's very European at the moment too. So if you join this, you'll notice that there's there's a you know just the the general kind of discovery tab, so to speak. There's, there's a lot more different languages. There's a lot of European tag, uh, hashtags that are trending. Um, so it's, if you expect, you know, the same sort of Auspol toots as you would for tweets, <laughs> then you won't necessarily get them at this stage. But it has potential. And especially if there's a mass exodus, if Elon does something really stupid.
0: <laughs> do you think that Elon might do something really stupid with Twitter?
1: I think that's his thing. Um, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a really, really very big investment. So potentially he won't do as many stupid things as fast as we expect. Um, he's also capable of, of great things, like Tesla's seem pretty okay. Um, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I think that there might be a bit of flying by the seat of our pants for everyone involved, at least in the first few weeks.
0: Reinhardt, do you think that Mastodon could legit be a challenger? To Twitter. Do you think it could ever take over?
2: My view is that Twitter has the inside track on this one. It's a well-established platform, uh, deeply entrenched platform, ubiquitous in young people's daily lives now uh, from morning through till night. It has many years of development and evolution under its belt, improving the platform over many years. Uh, It's got a very loyal fan base, virtually unchallenged market share in the microblogging space, I, I, I really don't think so. I think Twitter has acquired the dominant attributes um, characteristic of, of, I guess, an unshakable platform. I think Elon Musk realized that too, which is why he decided to simply buy it rather than compete with it. <laughs>
0: You are listening to Download This Show. I'm Ray Johnston, and I'm joined by Jen Dudley-Nicholson, the National Technology Editor at News Limited, and Reinhardt Sosen, presenter of the Tech for Evil podcast. And the EU's Digital Services Act, it's now taken its aim at TikTok. Now, we've chatted a little bit about this act on download before, but, Jen, give me a refresher. What is this law all about?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a law that will make um, sort of the, the platforms shake in their boots. So it has a lot of bold goals. Um, it's designed to protect the rights of consumers using digital platforms and services and set new rules around transparency and competition. Uh, it, it's basically designed to be kind of a, a one-stop shop to fight disinformation, online harm, market exploitation, and keeping your personal preferences uh, your own so that nobody knows necessarily that you prefer the US office over the UK version. Um, there's, there's a, a lot to it and it'll be fascinating to see what comes out of the end of it. What will it be asking of
0: TikTok specifically? Because, you know, what's going on behind the scenes there is pretty secretive, right, Reinhardt?
2: It is and I guess trade secrets are at stake because the DSA will squeeze platforms like TikTok um, in particular to open up its books um, and it will reveal things like how it harvests data and how its algorithms promote and filter com- uh, content. But more than that, the DSA may alter how TikTok operates because it's all about reducing online harassment, uh, providing greater accountability in the effects uh, they have on elections and to make sure they're held accountable when they are deemed to pose a risk to society and individuals. So the DSA will enable uh, a crisis mechanism. Some people may even call this a bit of a kill switch, I suppose, which means that people like the European Commission will be able to restrict uh, content on TikTok uh, during a security or health emergency. So it's quite a a high stakes game here. And DSA will require that uh, companies like TikTok need to provide independently endorsed uh, external research with access to their data so that they can be studied for potential online risks.
0: So why is TikTok so relevant here when we're speaking about them? This is something that impacts all of the social media networks. Why why is TikTok being singled out as going to be impacted the most by this, Reinhardt?
2: Well, they're the new kid on the block, so they have not yet had the same scrutiny as Facebook and Instagram and YouTube over the years. So once these uh, new European laws take effect, the Jig will be up for TikTok and they will have to to pull back the curtain on their wizardry. (laughs) So we might be able to understand how a video of Harry Potter inspired uh, high school kid floating on a magic broomstick attracts (laughs) 2 billion views on TikTok and understand why that's the case.
0: Now this is a European law. What will we get out of it here in Australia? Will will TikTok only be revealing these secrets to Europe? Will we know everything as well, Jen?
1: Look, I'd like to think so. Um, TikTok has been especially secretive about its special sources um, and, and the way that its algorithm works, because that's the whole thing, you know, that, that sort of drives this company forward, assessing what you want to see as you flick through mindlessly so that you can stay on there for, for two hours and, and then realise that you've lost your day. <laughs> um, so hopefully, if, if they allow um, external researchers and, you know, the, the EU is saying that, you know, they'll verify the researchers who are allowed to sort of access, you know, behind the scenes scenes. Um, if they are allowed to get that information, then potentially we can learn about what information is actually being shared on TikTok in Australia as well. Um and at the moment there's a even even though, you know, Facebook and Google you wouldn't necessarily call them transparent companies, they provide a lot more access to what is being shared, um, and what is trending, what we're seeing, what's what sort of um, trending on the platforms, whereas we don't get that same information out of TikTok whatsoever. So potentially, if this happens in the EU, it won't just affect the EU, it could potentially affect Australians as well, and we could find out, yeah, the secrets of Harry Potter and that Lizzo song that everyone's singing this (laughs) week.
0: What has TikTok's response been to the Digital Services Act, Reinhardt?
2: Look, it's it's an interesting one here because... TikTok last year in in around July-ish announced that um, they were going to open something called the European Transparency and Accountability Centre. And I think it was their way of showing experts uh, how they deal with community safety and data privacy. I think they were trying to be proactive about throwing their doors open and perhaps uh, demonstrating that they would uh, be open to what the uh, European... uh, legislators were trying to do. And in that same year, they created something called a European Safety Advisory Council. And that was their attempt to connect academics across Europe um, that would develop safety policies on the platform and and try and identify other emerging issues within Europe. So, I think their response has overwhelmingly been good, but they've also been a bit recalcitrant, I would say, as well, and resistant Um, about wanting to disclose information but wanting to do it, I think, on on their terms uh, and do it on a voluntary basis using their own metrics instead of being compelled uh, by the European Commission. So I think it shows that TikTok does not want to be really held liable for any uh, criminal acts uh, that it it has become aware of um, but, say, does not notify to law enforcement authorities when they're alerted.
0: What would be the consequences for TikTok if it didn't comply with this new law, Reinhardt?
2: That's a really good question. I, I'm not entirely sure fully what the consequences for TikTok will be. I think the I think Europe, uh, European Union, has demonstrated that they can hold social media platforms to task and other big tech giants uh, in the past, um, and and help to regulate and control some of the excesses. Um, especially in in, uh, cases uh, regarding Facebook. Um, So TikTok did push back against a proposal within the DSA, and that would have seen TikTok uh, and others having to publish their moderation decisions, and they argued that there could be unintended consequences of making that information public and allowing it to be in the hands of, say, nefarious actors who actively seek to game and defraud platforms and systems. So I think the, the it's, a, it's a Chinese social media giant, and they suggested that platforms should be allowed to use their own metrics to present data or all that transparency requirement should be offset by, uh, by a voluntary disclosure made by companies themselves. I think they're going to fight, and I'm not so sure how the European Union will respond.
0: Do you think that TikTok will comply with the new act, Jen?
1: I think that they will have to be, have to in in some regard at least. I think that we're not necessarily going to see a, a Facebook news ban in Europe, and they'll just you know pull out of the entire continent. Um, I, I think that they will have to on in some ways allow um, different regulators access to their service, um, and and to at least at least make APIs available so that you know it can be uh, a little bit more transparent. Um, I think that TikTok is going to be very careful about this though because the the one company that they're probably most worried about is actually Facebook because they would copy TikTok's algorithm in a second if they could and we're already seeing Instagram becoming more of a TikTok clone every single day um, so I think that they will comply but I think there'll be a lot of negotiations before we see that happen Download This Show
0: is what you're listening to. It's your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And with the federal election just around the corner, social media is being plastered with political advertising. Jen, who are we seeing the most ads for?
1: Oh, I find this so interesting. So, uh, unsurprisingly, Clive Palmer's United Australia Party is a massive fan of Google. They are propping up the whole company, it, it <laughs> seems, at the moment. Um, they've spent more than $16 million now um, on sort of pre-election advertising. That's not all during the campaign. That's since um, sort of 2020. But they spent almost a million dollars in the past seven days largely on YouTube ads. And so if you've watched YouTube in in the past week, you'll probably have seen several Clive Palmer ads. You can't escape them. In some cases, you can't skip them. And it's a really good advertisement, surprisingly, to take out a YouTube subscription so that you don't have to see those ads. (laughs) Um, But also, Labor is really spending up big. It's interesting the platforms they're all choosing. Labor's really going hard on Facebook. And we've seen them spend more than $360,000 in the past seven days. Whereas the Liberals are taking it an entirely different tactic and they're doing really targeted spending. So if you have a look through um, some of their advertisements, they're only targeting particular seats and some of their ads are only going to those seats and a lot of them are very negative. So we're really seeing a whole mix of things happening with, with social media advertising this election. Now,
0: there have been some big issues, it's safe to say, with political advertising on social media in the past. What kind of rules now exist around that political advertising online, Reinhardt?
2: There are some basic rules for election and political ads on, say, TV and radio, which are in places like the uh, Broadcasting Services Act and so on, and the Australian Communications and Media Authority regulate political election matters, but it doesn't extend to, say, contesting matters of truth or accuracy or defamatory statements. The Australian Electoral Commission, or AEC, ultimately has the responsibility for the regulation of election advertising under the, the Commonwealth Electoral Act. One of their roles is to ensure that electoral advertising is properly authorised and that they can track statements made in political advertising back to its origin. But once again, the AEC has no real role or responsibility in deciding whether political messages in federal elections are true or untrue. So another issue is whether these legislations fully address political advertising online and cover fully cover social media platforms. There have been attempts to bring older acts up to speed to incorporate um, online advertising, but the reality is that there are no limits to how much a political party or independent or third parties can spend in a federal election. So raising more money to spread the message further is a major play in our political discourse. It's here to stay. Political ads are not fact-checked, and it's up to us, the voters, to determine the truth for ourselves.
1: Now,
0: there were issues early on in this campaign with getting the information about who is spending the most on ads, where they're targeting it, all of that sort of thing. Why is it important that we have access to that data, Jen?
1: I think what we've seen in the past in in different federal elections in Australia uh, is that there's regularly kind of a, a scare campaign that goes on that becomes quite successful. We saw mediscare, we've seen the retirement tax, the death tax, and these sorts of things do actually sway people. So it's very important that you can actually you know find out who is spreading this information. Um, I also talked to an expert from ANU who said something really interesting. Um, You can kind of guesstimate before an election campaign starts, you know, what a party's tactics are going to be, what sort of approach they're going to take in terms of marketing. But you can actually see what they're really doing and what they're really planning by looking at their social media spending. So it's kind of, it really takes that into the real world. Like they might say that they're going to take, you know, a broad strategy to the election and they're going to sort of spread their message across Australia. But you might see that in fact, they're only targeting several marginal seats. And so that's that's why some of this is is just so interesting to see. And that is all that we have time for on the show today.
0: Thank you so much to Jen Dudley-Nicholson, National Technology Editor at News Limited. Great having you. Thank you very much. And Reihart Sosen, presenter of the Tech for Evil podcast. Great to have you on the show.
2: Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Now, I'm Ray Johnston. It has been an absolute pleasure filling in for Mark Fennell for the last six weeks. Thank you so much for all of your feedback. It's been very kind. And if you do enjoy the show, be sure to leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. Until next time, thanks for listening to another episode of Download This
1: Show.